Hi, I'm Daniel Wordsworth. For more than 30 years, I've experienced war zones, natural disasters, refugee camps, and sprawling slums. Now I'm going to show you a better and more optimistic world. This podcast is Finding Good. We brought a really exciting guest for you this week. Mitch Tambo is a proud Gamilaray man, social worker, a singer, and a songwriter. He's created Wollombar, which is a youth empowerment program, and he's had hits in Australia with cover versions of Australian classics, You're the Voice and Great Southern Land, performed in language, and he's with us today. Hello, Mitch. Yami Yama, thanks for having me. <laughs> Let me just start by asking for those, uh, we have a lot of international listeners who may not understand, you say you're a proud Gamilaray man, what is Gamilaray? Well, for a start, um, to break it down, I'm an Aboriginal man. Um, so a First Nations man and a part of uh, being a part of my incredible community is uh, being a part of a tribe and uh, there's many different tribes across our nations and the one that I belong to is the Gamilaray people. So uh, when you say, you know, Mitch Tambo, a proud Gamilaray man, that's really sort of centering where I'm from and where I come from, my people. And um, yeah, that's a, a great lead in because that's what I am. So there mm-hmm. you go. Good. The Australian First Nations are the oldest continuous culture on earth. Mm. So it's like 60,000 years of um, being in this place, in country, in this land. And uh, you can hear that number 60,000 and it doesn't really sound like a thing. But the way I think about it is the great spiritual teachers um, of different cultures. I think you, you have Jesus 2,000 years ago. Mm. You, you, I think you have Buddha 3,000 years ago. You have Moses. Two and, I mean, we're talking, these are all compared to our First Nations people mm. here in Australia. They are like new. And, yet, and we have entire communities of people who have lived in this country and sort of grappled with issues of country and spirit and identity and community and self for 60,000 years. It's really mind-blowing to me. And so then I, I think about what's the greatest treasure? Australia's always been struggling, or non-Indigenous Australians have always been struggling. Enough. Like, What does it mean to be Australian? What does it mean to be of this place? Because so many of us are coming in from all these different countries all over the world. What does it mean to be Australian? And I think at its heart it has to be birthed from recognition of our First Nations people and not just – it's not a political thing. It's like there's a framework within your community that's applicable and it can, can be used by everybody. What if we understood that way of seeing the world? What if we embraced that perspective and that community and said that lies at the heart of the Australian experience? It would make us the richest country on earth culturally. Yeah, I, I think they're beautiful words um, and I, I think you're really right and, and I, I feel that if we really just strip it all back and you go 60,000 years and all these complexities, how do we survive, how do we do things, it's all entrenched in our law and our stories and, and all that kind of a thing. But if you just really simplify it, for 60,000 years we shared, we loved one another, we, we didn't take more than what we needed. And if you just live off those three principles today, it would change the whole right. course of where we're going. You know, so don't be greedy, love one another, mm-hmm. you know. And, and just consume uh, what you need. That's it. That's, you know. That sounds very similar to we, your we treat, Yeah, <laughs> we, we treat each other as family. You know, we've got all these uh, skin names that link us way further and wider and deeper than blood ever could. Mm. 
that connected connects us up as family that you know traditionally or even today in the nt and things that you can travel from one place to another and it could be a six-hour drive away and someone will ask you what's your skin name and you will say it, and they go oh well i'm your mother i'm your father i'm your sister i'm your brother you can't talk to me you can talk to me and it links you up in this massive kingship mm. system of family and connectiveness mm. imagine if we lived like that today no That's one would awesome. go without there'd be no homeless on the street everyone would be looked after we wouldn't be worried about this going extinct that going extinct you know ripping thousands of things out of the earth here there and everywhere like it would be completely different outlook on life mm. Now, you're both from Tamworth. Yeah. I'm going to throw from that Tammy. out there. From Tammy. Or Tam Vegas, I should say. Tam Vegas. That happened after I left. <laughs> it's people like Mitch that, you know, glitzed it up. But it was pretty simple when I was there. What was Tamworth like in the 70s, Daniel? Not to give away your age, but uh, yeah, you're but slightly thanks, older than Mitch. Yeah. What was Tamworth like in the 70s, do you think, compared to what it's like for when Mitch grew up? I don't – well, you can tell me when you were growing up what it was like, but – Tamworth, for those f folks listening, Tamworth is uh, famous in Australia for being the country music capital. So whenever you bring up I'm from Tamworth, everybody automatically says, do you like country music? And, and actually, the country music capital started the year after I left. Oh, you really missed out. I really missed out on that. Yeah. Although I would sometimes come back for it, but I never went to any of those things. <laughs> okay. uh, but So Tamworth growing up for me was just one of those sort of, you know, beautiful country you know, experience growing up, and I grew up on a farm just out past the airport. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Out past Westdale. Yeah, out past Westdale. Yeah, and uh, so I, I loved growing up there. And uh, my father was a news agent in the downtown in Peel Street, and it was a great place to grow up. Right. Could you drink the water of the Peel River back then? That's what I want to know. No, we didn't try ever try to drink it. Okay. You were drinking it. I didn't you drink no, it. No, no, it didn't. went downhill as time <laughs> went on. I think so. <laughs> yeah, Peel. Uh, that river was always a bit dodgy. I used to go canoeing on it though and jumping in it. Yeah, we jumped jumped off uh, Vardak Bridge. Yeah, and Jury Street Bridge. Yeah, the old those field. things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you weren't born in Tamworth. <laughs> There's some common experience. There is. <laughs> Daniel was born in Tamworth. You weren't born in Tamworth. You're from Sydney originally. Yeah, born right? in so, Sydney. Yeah. So what took you? What took you to Tamworth? Parents separated, and uh, mum's side of the family was from that area, Werris Creek. So we we followed, went back, followed the grandparents back when they relocated, and uh, just grew up in Tammy. That was it. Yeah. So I, I pretty much was there from like let's say 18 months old. So my whole life. So, Mitch, at what age did you realise you were part of the Camilleray culture? I don't think I ever really realised that I was a part of it. You just are a part of it, if that makes sense. Yep. So I feel like when I, I really got into culture and identity and, and really wanted to pursue that aspect of who I am was probably around 15, and that's when I started to, you know, learn the fundamentals of of our, our story and law through song and dance, through Yugo Yuligi, and uh, really developed that passion the way I sort of describe it. It's kind of like a, a fire has been lit in your spirit and uh, – you just keep you just want to keep heaping wood on that fire and keep letting it burn brighter and brighter and that sort of analogy is around learning your culture and and running into that so yeah and what about the language because you I know you've you know as we mentioned had um cover versions and, and hits with you're the voice and great southern land in language so when did you start learning that and how do you learn how do you learn a language like that? Does he, you can't go to the library and get a book, right? There's no no classes in Gamilaray. Yeah, there is actually. Oh, really? Yeah, there actually is. Oh, yeah. I take it back. I just yeah. assumed there wasn't. No, there's a dictionary and um, there's classes. I think uh, I'm not sure if it's through Sydney Uni or where anymore, but, um, yeah, you can actually go and do a course to learn the Gamilaray language. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't learn that route, though. I wanted it to be more around community and, and through my elders, like through a face-to-face -face kind of experience. But for a lot of people in my community and things like that, they'll go through that course which is amazing i'm not knocking it by any means i think it's a great resource 
Um, but for me, we just grew up learning, obviously, traditional songs, first and foremost. So that would be sort of my first introduction into lingo and just sort of say certain words that's just kind of embedded within community that's just like sort of second nature, like yama or ya loose, high by, that kind of a thing. But it sort of all happened for me um, when a mate asked me, you know, he's like, I think you should get a loop pedal. I think you'd be great. And uh, my response is, man, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't do anything. And he said, well, you beatbox and play a mean didge. I think you'd be great. So I said, set it up for me and I'll have a crack. And uh, within seven days I'd written my first EP and I decided in that moment to sing because I felt like it was more reflective of me and my journey. So I started to dabble in language from there. And then I linked up with Arnie Bernadette Duncan, um, an incredible aunt in our community out in Bogabilla, and we started to work together on on writing, on writing songs and learning my language on a deeper level. So that's sort of how it all went. And you weren't musical really at all before that? Not in my opinion, no. So I was kind of, you know, I could beatbox and I'd play Dig and, and I was very much the brother you'd find, you know, fully painted up, just doing maybe like a, a tourism thing or school workshops. I was very much, all I wanted to do from the age of 15 is share and celebrate my culture. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just manifested and, and grew as time went on. And yeah, I literally was sitting there in um, my kitchen with this loop pedal set up and I just thought, I'm just going to sing because I've got things I want to say. And I just sung and moved out to Uluru to um, work out there. And um, as I moved out, I decided I was bored and I heard about these NEMA awards and I had no idea about any of this kind of thing. And I thought, oh, well, I've got music now. I might as well chuck my hat in for that. So I rang up my same uh, mate that got me into the loop pedal said, how do you go about this? And you need an account, you need this, you need that. So I uh, submitted a couple of songs forgot all about it, moved back to Melbourne to host a kids' TV series and I uh, was driving down the freeway one day and got emails from Triple J on Earth and other platforms, you've been crowned artist of the week and wow. next minute people <laughs> wanted to see me live and I just had to sort of keep bringing the same mate and go, how can we do this? Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'm not a musician. Yeah, what do I do here? People <laughs> want to hear my voice. Do I have a voice? Like, Is this going to go terribly wrong? What do I do? And uh, so what I did is I said to him, he's a very musical uh, fellow, very musical and so everything I put to him was just left field. So he's kind of, I think, hating me with a smile for a little bit because I was just going against everything that he'd been taught. But I said, look, brother, I've got this idea. I want to wear an earpiece. And when the crowd gets bored, you just tell me and I'll go from singing to playing didge. And when they look like they're over that, I'll dance and we'll just do that. You can imagine <laughs> hanging up at the phone. Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't work that way. And sure enough, the first show we ever did, Technology completely failed. There was no in-ear and I just had to stay on the mic and be a singer for most of the set. Wow. So that's where it sort of stems from. Do you find now that you've got a whole generation of, of kids coming up to you going, I want to be like you or how do I how do I do that? And encouraging them to sing in language and celebrate their culture through music in a, in a way that is outside their community? You know, I don't really tend to um, look for followers or I find it really hard to see young kids and go, oh, they've been influenced by me until yeah. sort of there's key pivotal moments. I'm like, oh, that's from me. Right. And there was one we were on tour recently with Burn the Floor and I come out of Edmore Theatre and I was just running to get into a um, Uber and I heard this uh, voice, brother, brother Mitch Tambo. I thought, oh, it's somewhat like it's a sister from, from the mob. So I turn around and she's like, oh, my son's a big fan. Can you get a, a picture with us? I said, yeah, of course. And we ran back over, my wife and I. And I was looking at this little brother boy and, um, you know, he was painted up. He made a little headdress like me and stuff like that. And I couldn't work out the the sequence vest. I'm like, what's the sequence vest? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's dressed like me. I wear those. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's me. Because I forget. I just see my hoodie getting into the Uber. And I was yeah. looking at this little brother like, 
<laughs> okay, I get the I get the paint, I get the what's the sequence? I'm like, oh, I do that. I wear that stuff, you know. And it was a real moment where I was like, wow, this um little fellow, I think he was from Out Burke. Right. And you just have that moment where you're like, wow, your music's really getting to all the places you really hope for it to, but you never know until you have them moments and it's a real blessing. It's actually really humbling. I got in the car, I just couldn't believe it that there was this little kid actually fully dressed up like me and really inspired by my music. So, yeah, it really touched me. Mitch, why don't you tell us about Wollomba, this organisation you set up for young people? Yeah, so Wollomba is one of my um, biggest songs that sort of went around the globe and after things sort of took off for me, I really didn't want to leave behind what I'm most passionate about at the the heart of things and that's the next generation. It's it's youth and youth empowerment and, and community development and all that kind of thing. So I developed my own youth empowerment program that's for community and for kids of all walks of life, which is called Wollombar, which in my language means to be strong. And I think it opens up that conversation of what is it to be strong? It's not all about muscles and brute strength. There's so many facets to it. And uh, so, yeah, we just go into schools. It could be childcare, primary school, high schools, kids in um, the youth justice system, foster care, or we do, you know, community projects and things like that. And it's um, it's soul work. I, I get way more out of it than what I give, that's for sure. So what is it to be strong? Look, I think there's so many facets to strength. I mean, strength can be reaching out when you're not doing well, when you're struggling with your mental health. It could be uh, seeing someone doing it tough and, along the side of the road and you, and you pull up and go, hey, you, you're right, do you need a hand, do you need a feed? Like there's so many elements that contribute to being strong. It could be, you know, our, our single parents out there doing it tough, riding riding it out to provide their kid the best education or best shot at life possible. I think there's so many elements to what strength is. It can uh, be someone in our community doing everything they can, sacrificing everything they can to try and become a doctor or it could be someone striving to keep our culture alive or it could be our, our old our elders, our old people that have kept our culture through all the tough times to, you know, revitalise it and then bring it out. There's just so many facets. But I think there's w- way more facets in strength than just putting Physical your fist strength. up. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. for sure. Would you consider yourself a strong person? I just consider myself as someone that's trying to do the best he can to uh, just break certain, I guess, generational patterns and um, to create – a new mindset and uh, a new dawn for my own kids coming that I'm doing doing my best to raise and pour into, I suppose, yeah. So I've seen, you know, your social media is a uh, – how do I explain it? It's a really <laughs> interesting <laughs> place. If you want to see the sequins. Yeah. And, and you want to see the sequins. The colour and the sequins yeah. and the, yeah. Um, but, but more so in the, in the comments. comments. Yeah. yeah. Talk From, to me. Talk to me, Fitzy. <laughs> Let's do it. Mate, the, the racism. Yeah. It's otherworldly. Like it obviously exists, but I've watched you meet the most disgusting, vile, aggressive comments on your social media mm. with nothing but love. How you how, how do you do that? How how are you so strong and so resilient in that space that you don't? I mean, you must want to turn around and yell back at them. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets really frustrating from a husband father perspective when you know my two year old gets brought into it or my wife. I, I think that's certainly low blows and below the belt. If it's not already low, just racism in general. But yeah. for me, I just think all I've got to give is is love, and and that's sort of my job here on the planet is to to spread that the best I can and to constantly get outside of my own trauma and, and my own ego, if you will, and um, just put that back out into the atmos the best I can because, yeah, 
social media at times can be full on and and for me certainly it, it is full on most days of the week. Mm. But that's my job and I think what brings me back to fighting with love, if you will, is thinking about not only my kids but the other versions of me when I was growing up that didn't necessarily have someone visible like me on the screen. So I just try to do the best I can with that and be integral with it. That's not like a persona where it's like, let's do that. That's going to be a great strategy. Mm. That's who I am in life is someone that is trying to heal and come through things and, and break things off my own life and through that, you know, let that flow on out into my own community that I've created on social media and allow people to see that, you know, you can be a strong husband, father and person, but you can also be someone that's vulnerable and choose love as your uh, way to live, yeah. I, t I remember that Stan Grant comment when he left the ABC and he you know, said, I apologise if I've given you a reason to hate me. Yeah. But I'll meet you like my people always have, which is with love. So that's a cultural thing? It's yeah, I think when you strip back, you know, a lot of the transgenerational trauma and a lot of the things that we've been through, at the core of our culture, at the core of our uh, our law is love and that and that's really it, you know. And uh, we have great sort of a principle back in Gomorrah country, Gamilaroi country that was uh, taught to me and that's Mal Bula Gulaba, which is one, two, three. And Mal is myself. It's self-love and preservation because if I'm not looking after my own self, I can't really be good for anyone else. And next is my immediate family and my household. You know, the once I'm good for myself, I flow on out into my family and I look after them and make sure my household is is good. And then once I know they're good and looked after, we flow out into Gulabay, our community, and we operate and we be functional there. So I think, you know, there's lots of incredible principles within our culture that we can use and allow to, you know, help us navigate this walk of life, yeah. You'll have seen that around the world, Daniel, before in other cultures. The one, two, three idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's naturally the way people are. We can all incorporate. It's universal, you know, if you're yeah. allowed to be. Yeah. I think most people, I think and the funny thing is I think we struggle in a flip way. The funny thing is that you find when you find people that are full of hate, it's it's the self-love actually that's the real problem. Yeah. It's the lack of uh, self-worth yep. and self-love. And then you project that or you inflict that you know people have said it's well, it hurt people um, hurt people right but I, I find it's the most sort of universal experience is a desire to show up for yourself to show up for your family to show up for those that are around you and your community and the more you spread that to other communities the sort of better it is but I think we struggle with the stuff that you're struggling with because of the first one self-love that yeah. kind of thing 100% and when you know social media took off in its hatred for me, that was sort of one of the first things I had to recognize. And it was really, really hard. And that was, I can't allow your trauma to become my trauma because I know a lot of these people are acting out in their own hurt and pain and heaping that on me by trying to pull apart who I am and the love I'm trying to put out into the community and the world. But it was really, really hard to acknowledge that and, and let it go and start to grow an immense amount of empathy and love for the people that were causing me the most pain at that time. And once I sort of got through that, I think I was able to start to grow. Because it's really hard. Social media, for me anyway, I feel like you can't operate or work through things until you've got the tools in the toolkit. And I feel like with social media, you sort of have to go through that ring of fire All and right. then develop to that, those tools and work out how to navigate it and not be impacted. But how did you get the tools I don't mean you've reached a place very soon that you can put up with this stuff and have a perspective on this stuff that's really rich and really giving and really loving. Where did that come from? I think it just come from really wanting to uphold 
my ancestors and everything that sort of come before me and not to do it a disservice and also to stay integral to who I am and what I believe my purpose on this planet is. But it's not to say that it wasn't hard and there wasn't times where right. I had big vents and things because initially it really took me out. Like I didn't know what to do. I, I questioned whether I should be doing it, whether it was really worth it because it, it would just keep me up all night. And um, I was so full of anxiety and all of these things going around in my head because of, uh, you know, you're really getting pulled apart almost like a, a mongrel bred dog, so to speak, you know, because people are like either want to see your papers, like how Aboriginal are you, where's your papers, like you're a dog at the pound or how much percentage are you, you know, like you're half German Shepherd, half Border Collie, a, a quarter, you know, Irish Wolfhound, a bit of Doberman, like <laughs> what, you know, people want to know all these things and you're just constantly getting pulled right. apart where at the core of it, you're just like this 15-year-old kid that um, fell in love with his culture that's now 30 and still has that immense amount of love for it. And that's how you're operating with just that joy of that kid still, you know. And even today um, there's times when I reflect and I'll say to my wife, wow, I just still feel like that little 15-year-old kid that got put around that fire, like just the passion and love I have to just want to put my culture out there. So at the start of the whole social media thing, I just wasn't ready for all that and um, it wreaked havoc on me. And one of the first kind of steps I took was to go back bush be around community for a bit, reach out to key elders and things and obviously get around my wife and team and just constantly open up and work out how I could get through it. But the only thing that got me through it was the love and belief in my purpose. I was like, if if I lose purpose in it, I'm not doing it because the only thing that's driving me here is purpose and the belief in my message and wanting to put that out there. You're a father of three, is that right? Four. Four. Mm. Has your parenting changed since you've been out on the road? And you're working with the youth, you know, Wollombar, has that changed? Do you think that impacts the way you parent your kids? It's really interesting. So to make it um, clear, I have three stepdaughters and I've got my own little bubba, Phoenix, who's two. And my older stepdaughter, Sophie, 17, 14 and seven. So there's a right, uh, wide spectrum of, mm. of girls up in my house. And I have four different names that I'm referred to as. So I'm referred to by Sophie as dad, offer as Mitch, Kalani as uncle dad, and as Phoenix, it's daddy. Uncle so there's, dad. I there's love lots of dad. roles. <laughs> and each role of the four have all completely changed my life and how I do things and how I parent and how I act and operate and treat people. But certainly when I work with other kids in, in our youth programs and things, it's totally transformed how I um work with kids 100%. Yeah. I think not in the capacity of like, don't do that. Uh, dad, blah, 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 but more in like the, oh, man, are you all right? Like I really feel a lot deeper. Right. It's like if I see a little kid fall over or something, it really impacts me. I can't watch things online anymore. It just gets to me too much of kids being hurt and things. I yeah. think something happens when you become yes. a dad and it's like this other, yeah. yeah, you just I can't deal with it. And do they have the connection to culture that you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, all the girls, the three eldest, they're uh, West Papua and Tongan. And um, obviously Phoenix is Aboriginal West Papuan. But all, all of us celebrate all three cultures in our house. So the girls are with me everywhere doing things, in particular Kalani and Phoenix, the two youngest. They just happen to come with us a lot. But uh, Kalani, she's very proud to be, in inverted commas, an Aboriginal girl. Right. Yeah, she'll go and uh, she'll be a part of everything. We had ceremony on the weekend. She jumps in it and uh, she's very involved because I've been with her since she was a baby herself. So she's got the Aboriginal spirit in her, that Gamilaray spirit. So she rocks out with us and um, Phoenix is, she just loves culture too. They're just, it's just in them, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a spiritual thing. And the girls, no, no one's embarrassed. Like the girls, if it's NAIDOC or whatever, 
the eldest, they'll wear our flag, whatever. They just do it by default, just in their house, you know. So how, yeah. what about – that's what I was going to ask you. What about um, cultural appropriation, mm. but it, but in a good way? So mm. you talk about having a fire lit inside you mm. um, and discovering culture. Yeah. As someone who's just about 98% Irish. Yes. And <laughs> a little bit <laughs> the English. Yeah. My culture is, you know, Gaelic and mm. Nordic. But I look at, at the Indigenous culture in Australia and go, what a – there's so much beauty in that, mm. just like the Maori culture in, in New mm-hmm. Zealand and the way it's celebrated when you arrive at, you know, arrive in the country. But I feel like if I want to wear an Aboriginal flag T-shirt or I want to, you know, celebrate the culture, that it's not mm. mine to celebrate. Sure. What is okay and what's not okay, I guess? Yeah, I think it's really interesting the time we're in because uh, there's so many people that are wearing First Nations clothing lines and brands because it's a cool thing to do, but if they saw another Aboriginal person walking past them on the street, they'd cross the road mm. out of fear and all these stereotypes and things. So I think it's a really interesting time, and I've witnessed it firsthand on many occasions. Someone's like rocking one of our shirts from someone, and they see another yeah. black fellow, and they just woo, man, to be I'm scared. <laughs> so, and it's it's sad, but um, because it's become like a very much like a fashion statement. It's cool, and I'm hip, and I'm yeah. woke, and I'm down with everything. Mm. But I so I think it's like you know if it's if you're passionate about a community and and you feel like it's in your heart, you want to be a part of it and ally if you want to, you know, put a banner on it or whatever, then you go for it, you know. Yeah. But I think um, don't just wear, like I wouldn't just wear an Irish Gaelic shirt if I wasn't going to go and rock out and be a part of your community or really excited yes. to learn about your community or, you know, if i seen some of your mob at somewhere go, hey, how you going, brother? Where are you from, man? I just love your culture. I've been really looking into it or your history. Like mm. I've seen all these things that happen, you know. I think it's more about that, a relationship yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, but, so I mean, there's no reason community. to, yeah, be involved or there's no reason to uh, know nothing and not go buy a shirt and support us. That's great. But let that be the start of your learning journey, mm. you know. So It's like the people that go and buy the, the um, First Nations art. But yeah. they're not sure whether it's really made by a First Nations artist. Could be from Indonesia. It could be Correct. anywhere. Yeah. Or where the money's, where the money's actually That's going right. back to community or not, you yeah, know, or to that. the artist. For sure. Um, you know, they want to do the right thing but that's it's they don't know. Yeah. And it's so poor in education, I think, still around this stuff. You know, there are lots of – they do now the, the cultural awareness training. Yeah. You know, what, what's okay to say and what's not okay to say. But there's no – But what do your kids learn at school? Well, there's no, but there's no cultural integration, like, mm. learning. Because we didn't learn – I don't think we learned anything. Although in Tamworth, you grew up, everybody's like there. Yeah, yeah but, true. But so you, it's not like you didn't. Everybody was just there, present, yeah. and you're um, in in your footy team. You're, it's all mixed up with everybody's playing yeah. with each other. But what's it like for your kids now? What what are they taught in their schools here? Well, I mean, it, it's they're taught what's right, what's the right and wrong thing to say. Mm. You know what what you can say and what you can't say. We had this conversation the other night at dinner. Um, you know, and Scotty Darlow, uh, another great artist, will, yeah. will turn up at the school and he'll he'll talk about community and he'll talk about culture and he sings with the guitar and the dig and it's it's great and the kids, you know, get into it and enjoy it. But I don't know how much of it is actually learning beyond that about culture and learning mm. what they can and can't say. Yeah. And that's where I think the opportunity is missed. And from what it sounds like, what you're doing with Wollombar is is more of that, is more about learning about culture. Do you yeah. need do you need to be of the mob to join Wollombar? Not at all. Wollombar is for every kid from every walk of life because I believe that, you know, our our cultural framework, it's there for everyone to learn from. And I feel like in us going into a school or a situation where 
we're celebrating our identity and opening up the conversation around our identity. We're actually creating a safe space for a kid to put his hand up and go, well, I'm actually Sudanese from here and this is what we do in our culture. And another kid to go, well, I'm Italian and Nonna cooks this. And we provide a safe space to celebrate everyone's identity. Because I feel like the world we're in, kids are sponges and they pick it up and you could be in a classroom. And I've had this feedback after we've left and a teacher reach out and be like, we didn't know the silent walls that kids walk within until you guys left because once she's left the kids are just talking all about their identity but we've never experienced it before it's just about nintendo basketball all these things mm. but they won't touch on their identity and their culture and their beliefs and all these things so yeah. we i go in and we go in and just celebrate it's not about talking even about the heaviness of history it's just about celebrating and basically for you know 50 minutes a day a 10-week program whatever just partying with kids through the lens of just celebrating identity. But we use our culture and our story to open it up for everyone to then share their story within that space. It's just driven through us as First Nations people, so to speak. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, I just wanted to talk to you about the way that um, you showed up and the way that you speak to these issues. Uh, because in, in my view, it has to be present-based and not past-based language. Mm. And I, I because I don't... It's not about whether something's true or not at all. It's just whether something's resonant and whether people can live in that space and have a conversation with you. And I think that's the space that you live in is celebration of present, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm very aware of the past. Um, you know, I've had to do a lot of work of of healing that transgenerational stuff and working through all that kind of thing, but I'm very much about the now and how we can empower the next generation's to just move forward and be free in who they are, to just live the best possible life they can live. And I think it has to be universal to everyone because although we're overrepresented in all these crazy statistics, we need everyone on board to be walking together so we can we can eradicate that and everyone can live their best life, you know, and I believe that wholeheartedly and I feel like there's a place for everyone to just celebrate their identity. Because, yes, like for me it's culture and it's all these things, but it's also about, you know, that kid that's just trapped in their own sexuality and is just so petrified to come out and just be free in who they are that by the time they're about to open up that door and go, here I am, they take their own life. So it's like how can we create something where people can just celebrate identity, culture, sexuality, religion, whatever it is, and we, we just get the job done and lead our best lives because that's what we're all here to do, right? It's just we're all trying to do the best we can to have the best life possible, you know? On your Wikipedia page, there's a line that says, in 2010, Mitch Tambo went to Rome for the canonization of Mary MacKillop. What was that about for you? So basically, uh, this is really how it went down. So I was doing a lot for the Catholic community at the time. Um, I'd done like World Youth Day and, and all that kind of thing. And I knew a bunch of people that were going to Rome. And I was like, oh, that's cool. No one sort of hit me up. That's fine. Like I'm just chilling out in <laughs> Tamworth, you know, just the lonely city streets of Peel Street. <laughs> And one afternoon I got a call and I was just like, hey, we forgot about you. You want to come to Rome? You'll be great to lead the processions of St. Mary MacKillop. I said, sure. And they're like, well, we have to get all this done now. We've got someone driving from Sydney to give you this paperwork to sign. They're going to rush it off and you're on your way. So that's what got me over there. And it was really to, to lead sort of and celebrate us as First Nations people over there mm -hmm. and, and be at the forefront of, of her canonization, which was amazing. And I'll never forget, we went into the canonization. I had the dig on my... Um, shoulder in this bag and like the police over there they just grabbed it off me as i was going through security and they just launched it straight into this big bin oh. 
And I was, no one could speak a lick of English. I'm just like. Because it's wood? Well, there, there that goes. Well, maybe because it's like it could be a weapon. Oh. So it was Gornski. They're chucking out all these <laughs> umbrellas. Umbrellas are flying, and then they just grab my dude. <gasps> and I'm like, just finding anyone. Can you speak? In, can you just tell them like it's a sacred instrument? I really need this. I need to play this. I'm not going to do any harm. And they got and pulled it out of the bin and gave me it back. Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah thankfully. Like so I was like, there it goes. Walk around to a music store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was gone. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell them, and they're really like staunch. Yeah. And they yeah. just like, it's like straight face. Launcher. Man, at the time, little. Little Mitch from Tamworth was not mucking around <laughs> with anyone. I was just like, wow, okay, this is real over here. Yeah. <laughs> they probably hadn't seen Didgeridoo before. Yeah. Check out Mitch's music if you haven't yet. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Music, Mitch Tambo. There's some uh, there's some fantastic tracks on there. And you're making new music? More new I'm music? making new music. Get ready. Get ready. I'm really excited. I'm going in the studio real soon. I've got a couple of projects on the horizon I'm Excellent. pumped about. So. And your wife's project? Yes, her, her solo project will be out early next year and it's going to be wild. I'm really pumped about that too. It's great for her because she's travelled the world um, singing with people and singing in groups with her sisters, the Black Sisters, and now she's come out to do her own thing, The Voice of Lele. So I'm really excited for her because she's been on the road with me too, flat out, being my incredible BV. So I'm really sad to let her go, but I'm also really pumped for her to just do her own thing and get away from me. She probably needs a break and get on the stage <laughs> and do her thing. So Awesome. Hey, thanks for coming in, thanks, Mitch. Mitch. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.